You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. This morning, I, um, I uh, want to talk to you about being secretly incredible. And, and, I, and I was working on this uh, before I realized that I'll be speaking on Mother's Day, but man, it sure fits today. Because moms are absolutely, they embody what it means to be secretly incredible. They love and they give and they sacrifice. And they don't get paid for it. And they do it for their entire lives. Because no matter how old your kids are, you're still a mom. And so, like Chad said, that we also realize today is a very difficult day. And if you're here today and it's an easy day and a wonderful day, and if you're here today and it's a difficult day, we're just glad you're here. Pray that you'd be encouraged this, this morning. Living incredibly secret lives. My definition, my definition for what it means to live a secretly incredible life is about expressing God's creative presence. It's about expressing God's unbiased creative presence in the world that you live in. God's not going to send someone to express his presence into your world. He's sending you. That's why he put you into that world. The thing that's amazing is that God chooses ordinary people to live these secretly incredible lives. One of the things that I, that, that I, I discovered, and I discovered this after way too much time in my life, probably in the last 10 years of my life, I discovered that... The, 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 to be able to be a follower of Christ, be somebody that loves Jesus with all of my heart, and yet to work and be authentic in a world surrounded by people who are indifferent to Christ or um, hostile towards Christ. You can only do that when you begin to look at your world and you begin to look at others with an understanding that God utterly delights in them even though they're different from you. He utterly delights in them. When I was a kid, um, we used to have to wear suits to go to church. And on a perfectly beautiful summer Sunday morning, I'd be sitting in the back seat of my parents' station wagon, and we'd be driving to church, and I'd be driving by the park, and I would see kids playing in shorts, and laughing, and having fun. And I, I w- we would see people cutting their grass, and people washing their cars. And I actually believed somewhere I got this idea that God was looking at them, his arms were crossed, he was tapping his foot, and he was annoyed with those people. Because they didn't have to go to church in a suit and listen to an unbelievably boring talk and waste a perfectly good morning. Those people were having fun, and God was not happy about that. I was pretty sure that that's the way it was. And I actually held on to some version of that lens for most of my my life. But the truth is that God utterly delights absolutely everyone that he has made. The Bible says God so loved the world the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, God's love is not the thing that's in, the, 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 in question in that verse. He loves the whole world. What you do with his love is completely up to you. God created everyone fearfully and wonderfully. He created everybody in his own image. He created all of us. We are all his workmanship created in Christ for good works that God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Jesus, when he hung around, when he, in, in the 33 years that he lived, he did not hang out with Christians. He hung out with people. And he expressed the, the delight of the Father to them. And because his heart was turned to that lens, that lens is it's, it's a subtle shift in your heart, but it changes everything. And because of he, Jesus came with this revelation that of the Father's love, he came to show us the Father's love, he, he had the ability to see the unseeable in people. He could see the unseeable. Jesus saw kindness and generosity and goodness. He saw benevolence in, in, in one of the, the, the most, the most uh, ruthless criminals in the city of Jericho in the first century. A mob boss, a tax collector, the chief tax collector. Jesus met Zacchaeus and he spoke to the kindness and he spoke to the goodness and he pulled it out of him and he became that. How is it that Jesus, he, when, when he, he, he meets a guy that is so full of demons, a legion of demons, he sees an evangelist. The man terrorized his entire territory. And Jesus speaks to the evangelist in him. And the guy goes out and begins to tell everybody, this man delivered me. This man saved me. In 1 Samuel, God finds a, a junior high kid and he sees a king. It's incredible. See, the prerequisite for being secretly incredible in people's lives is seeing the unseeable. Is seeing the unseeable. You know, when, when you look at people and, and, and recognize that God utterly delights them, it, your heart shifts from judgment to love. From judgment to like. It's seeing people with a divine perspective. It shifts to everything. When Jesus looks at you, he looks at you through the great story that he created you for. And he created you all for, for an incredible story. And, and, and he saw uh, apostles and fishermen. He saw teachers and tax collectors. He saw the unseeable. What do you see when you look at people? What do, what do you see? You know, if I'm feeling good and, and you don't bug me, then I'll see good things in you. But if I'm hungry and grouchy, you're just not yourself when you're hungry. You know what I mean? And you know what? Then, 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 then there's a critical side to me, a judgmental side to me. I don't like that side, but it's there. But let me tell you something. What you say and what you see in other people says way more about you than it does about them. Can, can you see and celebrate what a person is becoming and not just what they are? 
Jesus had this ability to do that. You know, when a, you're a kid, when you're a kid, you, you so badly want to belong that uh, you work hard to look like everybody else. You wear all the clothes that they're wearing and everybody then looks like everybody else. And you, you want to just stay hidden, don't you? Fear is the thing that wants you to imitate. Fear is, fear is the thing that wants you to conform. All the while, God's grace is working you to unfold your magnificent, authentic self. He made you different. You smell different. You look different. You walk different. You are different. And he likes that about you. It's interesting. When you are walking around in your unique beauty. It's actually easier just to be like everybody else. It's funny, we did that in elementary school and we've done it in the church. Right? If you don't look like us, then you go somewhere else. Right? If you don't believe like us, uh, we did that, didn't we? And so everybody looks the same and, you know, recites the same theology back we embrace the same thing and we stay hidden even though we don't believe everything the same. But we just don't, we just want to belong. Well, I'm telling you something. that you, 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 When you learn to live out of your authenticity, you, you, you look different than everybody else. You, you, you begin to live quite spaciously. And you begin to do things and, and, and there's a freedom that comes to your life. And you actually, you know, when, when somebody's really good at something and you're watching them, like I'm thinking about a basketball player, or a volleyball player, and they're really good at it. When you're in the stands, they actually look better than they really are. They're more attractive than they are when they're sitting in a classroom. Because when they're operating in their anointing and their gifting, there's just something that they give off that's beautiful. And the same is when you find your stride when you learn how to live out your life authentically, freely and spaciously, you bring God glory. And I pray that there be enough grace in us as individuals that somebody else can be walking out their faith and it doesn't look like ours, but we can still celebrate it with them. We can still honor them in their walk. They, they, they might not even go to a church. It doesn't belong. They don't feel like they belong. It's not part of their, their dance at this point in time. Well, can't we just celebrate that with them? Recognizing that God made us all uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully. In, uh, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul said something really cool. He, he, it's such a short part of the verse, but it's so powerful. He said that God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you, do you know what that means? It means that the, when, as you began to open your heart to in faith in God and in Christ, God began to pour. He began to give you this superhuman love. He began to give you his unbiased love. You see, if, if you just love you four and no more, well, we can all do that. I can love people that look like me and act like me and agree with me. That, that, you, don't, you don't need to be special. You don't need supernatural love for that. But what you need supernatural love for is when you love those who hate you. You love those who aren't like you. 
But Jesus said this in John 13. He said, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. And Jesus loves you with an unbiased love. And we're so easy to receive that, but we're not so good at giving unbiased love. But let me tell you this. Unbiased love frees you to be the delivery vehicle of God's presence, of God's unique healing presence to people that aren't like you. It's only an unbiased love that will lead you into a gay community and embrace the gay community and the transsexual community to go and embrace people that aren't like you, the Muslims in your world and in your life. It's only the unbiased love of God that will propel you, motivate you, inspire you to be there with them because God delights in them just as much as he delights in you. See, God chose you to be the means and the method. He chose you to be the object and the delivery vehicle of his dynamic love. And most of the time, that just happens in secret. No, 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 nobody's writing books about it. It just happens in day-to-day life. There are times when Jesus, it's incredible. He, he did some incredible miracles and after he finished changing someone's life radically, he would go, shh, don't tell anyone. In Mark 7, the Bible says, and some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf. He could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on him. And the Bible says, Jesus took the man aside, away from the crowd. He put his fingers into his ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. And he said, be opened. And the man's ears were open and it, he began to speak plainly and then Jesus said, don't tell anyone. In Matthew chapter 8, a man with a terrible skin disease comes to Jesus. He just falls at his feet and Jesus heals the man and then he says to the man, don't tell anyone. Mark 5, he raises um, a a child from the dead. Jairus' daughter, he raises from the dead. And he said, don't tell anybody. And over and over and again, you'll see, there are times when Jesus did these miracles, these incredible things in a very public setting. And then we see him doing these incredible things secretly. I, I want to give you five things that you can, you can actually just hang on to. And you walk in these five things, and I promise you, you'll be incredible in the lives of the people you're with. Number one, I've already given you two of them. Open yourself to the unbiased love of the Father. That means, that means open your heart, just the peripheral of your heart, your, the peripheral of your like to people that aren't like you. No, you don't have to necessarily understand them or agree with them to love them. Number two, look for the unseeable in people. You'll find it. You'll see it if you're looking for it. Jesus said, set your eyes on the things that are not seen that, rather than the things that are seen. You see, if you have Christ in you, you have his presence in you, you have his spirit in you, and you have spiritual intuition, you have, you have the ability to discern things spiritually, and you walk into someone's life and something goes off in your heart and your mind that, that's really contrary to what they're seeing, I'd lean into that. Speak into that. Number three, use your 
words. Use your words. Um, I got this phrase, in Secretly Incredible, from Bob Goth. Bob Goth wrote a book. I read it years and years ago. And then I picked it up again a couple weeks ago called Love Does. There's a great story in the book when he wanted to go to law school. And didn't really know. He was pretty serious about it. And he decided to... Uh, Buy, go to the corner bookstore and get a, a book because you see, you, to get into law school, you have to write an LSAT. It's a big test, this huge test. And then, and then when you write that, then, then now, now you put that with your, your, your resume, your academic resume, and then all the universities will see how smart you are or not. And he goes, he figures, I want to I I crush this thing. So, so, so he goes out and buys a novel, a book for $7.95 that, that, that talks about the LSAT. It's only when he got to writing the exam or got to the place in the rooms filled with these young students did he realize that everybody else had taken an entire semester to prepare for the LSAT. They take entire courses to prepare for the LSAT. And so needless to say, he bombed the LSAT. He thought, well, you know what? I'll send out applications anyway. And all the schools that he applied to declined him, rejected him, except for one. They didn't even bother to write him a rejection letter. It was just that bad. And so, so he thought, well, you know what? This may be an opportunity. I didn't get a re- an acceptance letter, but I didn't get a rejection letter. And so he makes, he just decides, you know, I'll follow up on this. And he goes and he makes this appointment to see the dean. And finally, the dean of admissions, he, he, he's at his office. And Bob says, I, I, I want to be a lawyer. And I want to change the world. But there's only one problem. Your school didn't send me an acceptance letter. You didn't send me a rejection letter, but you didn't send me an acceptance letter. To which the dean said, yeah, I'm sorry, it's a pretty competitive program and we, you know, we, we have to reject a lot of qualified students. And, 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 and then he starts walking Bob to the door. And just before the dean closes the door, Bob says, listen, listen, I know that you have the power to, to, to let me study here as a student. I know you can do this. All you need to do is say four words, four words, and I promise you, you will not regret it. I promise you, I'll make you proud. Just say, go buy your books. That's it. That's all you have to say. To which <laughs> the door closed. <laughs> Bob didn't know what else to do. He kind of ran out of options, and so the only thing he knew to do was to come back the next morning, and he sat on the bench in front of the dean's office, from seven o'clock in the morning till the dean left. He just sat there with this goofy smile on his face and waved at him every now and then. He sat on that bench for seven days. And every now and then you get a chance to say four words. That's all we need, four words. On the seventh day, the dean had been walking around him all week. On the seventh day, he walks right up to him. He winks, he smiles, and he says, go Buy your books. And Bob said this, those four words launched my life. And in fact, they launched him into a brilliant career as a litigator. And he did change the world. Four words. You want to know why? Because words can launch you. And your words can launch somebody else because the words that are spoken over you, they don't only just describe you, but they shape you. 
And this is, this, this is not something you're just supposed to do with other Christians. You're supposed to go into the world and use your words. See the unseeable and speak to it. But you'll never do that unless you begin to first look at people with understanding that the Father's delight of them. Be intentional about your words. Look for beauty in people. I always say this. You always see what you're looking for. If you're looking for flaws, you'll find it in everyone. If you're looking for beauty, you'll find it in everyone. And when you see it, pull on it with your words. Speak to it. Look for something redemptive. I'll tell you this other story. This is, I've told you this story before, but actually I've told just about all my stories before. So um, in the 90s, I traveled as an itinerant speaker. Okay, I was a youth speaker. That's what I did. That's all I did. And I spent about four or five months a year in Europe doing that. When I got into a country like Germany, for instance, I, would, I had a, a, an apartment and I had, a, I had a base in Lorach, Germany. When I was in Switzerland, I would, uh, in, the, in the south part, the French part, I stayed in Lausanne, in the north part, Basel, and so on. And then I would get into this base and then I would just work from that area, from that base. Um, I was in, this would have been in the early 90s, I was in uh, uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, and I was speaking in the area. And every time I got to the train station, there was these kids skateboarding. But there was one kid that really caught my attention. It was a girl. She was a girl, but she, she had like serious punk hair. And, but she pierced just about everything you can pierce on your face. And I'd seen her so often in that one trip. And I finally decided, well, you know what? She skates by. And I said, can you speak English? Well, she stops on a dime. She loves to speak English and she'll take every opportunity she can to speak English. And so she begins talking to me. She speaks perfect English. I, you couldn't even tell there was an accent, no accent. And I said, how can you speak such good English? She says, I'm moving to New York as soon as I can. She even sounded like a New Yorker. You know what? She played that and wanted that dream so badly. And so for the next three weeks, in and out of Lausanne, and I see her, and she'd come skating up to me every single time. And so we got, we built a friendship. My last few days in, in Switzerland, I was speaking in Lausanne at a conference, at a youth conference. It wasn't huge, it was just a few hundred kids, and, and I, uh, I had this idea, it just popped into my head. Number one, I've come to like this gal, her name is Noemi. I just decided I liked her. And then I asked her, I said, I'm doing this thing tonight and I need an interpreter. Would you be my interpreter? And she goes, this is all I got to wear. I said, that's fine, that'll work. And um, so that night when I showed up at the conference with my own interpreter, who was this street person, you should have seen the prayer meeting. You know, we do that pre-service prayer. <laughs> Nobody closed their eyes. Everybody grabbed their wallet, made sure their phones stayed where they were. Because she was rough around the edges, I promise you. But I was told that she did an amazing, she struggled with some theological terms, but the rest of the talk, she interpreted it beautifully into French. And um, for the next few years, I, whenever I went to Lausanne, I used her as an interpreter. What's really cool is that my pastor friends in, in Lausanne and Veve, 
They, they took her in and they loved her and she became part of that community. She, she, she fell in love with Jesus. And, and, um, and so I used her as an interpreter for years. I haven't been back in Europe since 2000. But in 2010, I got this email from one of my pastor friends in Switzerland. And he, he had an, a, a brochure, a poster attached to the email. It was a international conference on youth. Uh, in Geneva, and he said, look at the keynote. It was Noemi. Noemi was the keynote. She was the one person speaking to thousands and thousands of people working with youth, working with youth on the streets, working with youth in marginalized communities, and, and she was the one. I was so happy. You see, those, those simple words, hey, can you speak English? They launched someone. Her life, I had just this little piece of it. It doesn't take a lot. And God does all the heavy lifting. You have the opportunity to do this as well. What a privilege it is to be part of someone's life just because you spoke a word in season. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Very last thing. I want to give you so that you can be secretly incredible is put some skin in the game. Find something that is a worthy cause. Find something and make it personal. Find something. That thing is probably right under your nose right now. Last year, I, I came across this, this young guy by the name of Matthew, 12 years old. Lives in Nashville, incredibly poor. A highlight of Matthew's day, week, was when the mail carrier, the mailman came. And every time he saw the mailman, he'd run up to him and he said, do you have any brochures? Do you have any just generic newsletters? Because Matthew, 12 years old, loved to read. He didn't play video games. He wasn't interested. He loved to read. And Ron made it personal. That was the, the mailman. Ron made it personal. And so he would bring from home. Every day he went to work, he brought a book or two. And he found out there's a whole bunch of kids just like Matthew. And Matthew would blow through a book sometimes in two days. And Ron realized that he had the opportunity to shape this young boy's mind. And he wasn't going to waste it on garbage reading. Finally, he ran out of books. He went to his Facebook community and he said, there's a kid and he's got some friends. I need some books. Ron filled his garage with the books that came in from all over the country. So Ron walks through that community and not just as a mailman, but now he walks through that community after his job is done, being secretly incredible by giving books to book starved kids. You know, walking with Jesus isn't just about knowing all the right stuff. It's, it's not about following a bunch of rules, but it involves being present in people's lives. Jesus came to us as Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be present with us and he came to be present with you so that you could go and be present and invested in other people's lives. And you go with the unbiased love of God and you become invested in other people's lives. 
Because God shows you to be the means and the method and the object and the delivery vehicle of his dynamic love. I'm going to invite you to stand and pray. I don't know who... I pray that God would put someone in the crosshairs of your thoughts, your mind. I pray that the world will look different because you got up on Monday morning and went to work. I pray that people that you work with love it when you show up because you bring something. They can't, it's an intangible. They can't describe it. It's called presence. It's called his presence. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you that you are a life-giving God. Thank you that you put us on this planet, Father, to steward the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father, wake us up. Open our eyes to see people the way you see them. Give us the ability to be present in the moment when, when our hearts flutter and, we, and we, we have an encouragement that we want to give. Help us to be, to be there to give that encouragement. Help us, Father, to see those who are weary and, and tired and broken and hurting and then give us your love for them. Stretch our love, I pray, Father, so that it's not just about people who agree with us, Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.